0: Welcome to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are now tuned into our OITE review series. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. are doing this OITE review series with myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high yield orthopedic surgery topics. Um, And we hope for those of you that have been listening to our OITE review series or orthopedic in-training exam review series that you have been learning some stuff. We've been going through trauma, so we will continue on. We finished upper extremity. And we will move to the pelvis so without further ado learn a little bit more about the pelvis you are now listening to nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole hello everybody and welcome yet to a Another episode. This isn't really an episode. It's more of a review series uh, with the Nail the Ortho podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit more trauma. Um Dr. Cole, one of the uh, hosts of this podcast. And I have a special co-host, Dr. Woolwine. Wine. Welcome, uh, welcome back. And are you ready to talk some more um some more OIT review and some more some more trauma stuff?
1: Oh yeah. Let's uh let's continue this and uh go with the pelvis and lower extremity.
0: Oh, this will be a good one. And uh, for those listening, if you're listening to this and you think that we have said something wrong or something incorrect, please feel free to reach out and uh, email us at nailededortho at, at gmail.com or if there's something that you felt needed to be covered but we did not cover, again, feel free to reach up. out. We can yeah?
1: start with, uh, uh, kind of pelvic the pelvic ring and then move from pelvic ring injuries to uh, the acetabulum.
0: Yeah, let's do it. So um, I guess just, just going back to the basics, straight anatomy, uh, and we're talking about the pelvis. Let's we'll start with the pelvis. So what are some of the ligamentous connections that kind of stabilize the pelvis?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, posteriorly, uh, we have the kind of all important uh, anterior and posterior uh, SI ligaments. Um which uh, of those, the posterior are are the strongest of that kind of posterior complex. You have the interosseous SI ligaments and then also the uh, iliolumbar kind of completing that entire uh, complex. And then um, what what these are really responsible for are uh, kind of the rotational and vertical forces of the uh, pelvis as it's... um, kind of taken through either an anterior to posterior or uh, inferior to superior uh, force and then uh, you also have the uh, sacrospinous ligament which is a transverse band from the uh, lateral portion of the sacrum to the ischial spine and then the sacrotuberous ligament which is kind of uh, a little bit more inferior than the sacrospinous uh, It's on the dorsal sacrum to the ischial tuberosity and uh, that one is really responsible for external and vertical shear forces as well. When you have a, a trauma patient enter the uh, ER, we all know we get we get that uh, just straight AP pelvis. But what other uh, kind of image series are you uh, looking for for complete evaluation?
0: Yeah, so if we're trying to evaluate the the pelvic ring itself, so pelvic ring injury, not talking acetabulum injury. Just like you said, we want to have that initial AP. Um, and then we want to have an inlet and an outlet view. So, uh, an inlet view is going to have a caudal tilt, so the the beam is going to be shot aiming towards the feet. An outlet view is going to have a cephalic tilt, or gonna, the beam is going to be aiming towards the head. And on the inlet view, uh, those are best used to evaluate the anterior or posterior displacement of the SI joint. Um, you can also note any type of rotational uh, malformalities of the pelvis. So you can note if the pelvis is externally rotated or relatively uh, internally rotated as well. And, uh, you know, the inlet view is also used intraoperatively for your AP uh, placement of your SI screws again. So when you're looking kind of down that, down that ring, uh, you know, you're looking in that, you know, if any if there's any displacement of the AP plane, you'll be able to see that. So on the outlet view, this is when you have a, uh, a cephalic tilt. Um, this is going to be better used to evaluate for any type of vertical displacement of the hemipelvis. So you look at the x rays. you see if one hemipelvis is, is higher than the others. You can also note uh, flexion of the hemipelvis. So you can look at the obturator rings. You can look to see if they're symmetric. You know, if they're not symmetric, there may be some clues that, that, um, that clue you in that there may be some type of a uh, flexion, um, form of a pelvis as well and this outlet view is used interrupt for superior inferior placement of si screws which makes sense you know because you're looking for vertical displacement that's one of the things that you can see on the outlet versus the inlet is more for anterior posterior displacement and also at least i feel like in, in a lot of trauma centers they always just get like <coughs> going through the ct scan so you always have um So in a lot of trauma centers, you already have a CT of the pelvis, but if you have a pelvic ring injury, a CT scan can help classify and evaluate the sacroiliac complex. Now, um, what is, since we're talking about the different views, we talked about the AP, the inlet, uh, we talked a little bit about CT scan, but just going back towards x-rays, what is the obturator outlet view and and how is that kind of used for for pelvic fixation?
1: Yeah, so the... Uh, obturator outlet is obviously a combination of the uh, obturator oblique Judea view, but also with that outlet uh, cephalic tilt that you're getting uh, that you just talked about before. And what that is really giving you is is a good view of uh, the corridor from the AIIS or antero-inferior iliac spine all the way to the PSIS uh, or posterior superior iliac uh, spine, and that's you want to see that nice teardrop corridor uh, for use in uh, those like super acetabular uh, pins for your XFix or your kind of the classic like LC2 screw, um, and then. Uh, You can also use it to get the uh, superior and inferior placement for your anterior column screws are kind of coming from that uh, lateral superior acetabulum down the uh, superior pubic ramus. And kind of the opposite of that is the obturator inlet view. And you're still on that obturator judae, but then you're going to that cephalic tilt of the inlet that you were just uh, going over and what that's doing is it's uh, confirming that your uh, pins or screws are within the inner and outer tables of the uh, kind of that supracetabular uh, corridor so that you're not going either out too lateral into the kind of gluteal musculature or within the uh, pelvis itself. But uh, uh, I mean, you talked about it kind of every... ER patient, it seems like they go through the CT scan as they (laughs) come through the the front door of the ER. Um, What sort of things are you looking for on that CT scan?
0: Yeah. So, you know, learning how to, I remember the first time I was a med student, I had no idea what I was looking at a CT scan, but, you know, one of the things that I've learned throughout the, throughout my very limited experience is you want to just kind of look for symmetry on both sides, right? So you're evaluating the sacroiliac complex on both sides. You're looking to see if there's any winding on one side compared to the others. If there are any breaks in that anterior cortex of the sacrum, you want to evaluate that. Um, you can evaluate if there's any rotational uh, moment of one uh, hemipelvis versus the other. And, and other things you want to look at is, you know, the, the pelvis is a, a ring structure. So you always want to look for two areas of disruption. If you think about it, if you break one part of a ring, there has to be a disruption somewhere else in the pelvic ring in order for that that break to happen. So you always want to look for two areas of uh, of, of disruption. But on your sagittal recons, when you're looking at your sagittal slices, um, you can use these to evaluate for any kyphosis. Um, you can look for any fracture lines that may clue you into a U-shaped fracture of the sacrum, and you can also look at this view to help uh, note any spine or pelvic disassociation. You can, again, you want to see like a smooth anterior uh, anterior cortical line of, of that sacrum. And on the other view, what we we're talking about a little bit earlier, evaluating the SI complex, I, I, I failed to mention, but that I'm talking about looking at our axials. Uh, but really, you want to look at all the views and, and see anything that you can. And and typically, this is done looking in the bone uh, window, but you can also look in the soft tissue window and see if there's any swelling, um, uh, any any bleeds around uh, around the pelvis or around the bones. You can also look for any extravasation of contrast if there is a uh, uh, a, a CT scan with contrast. And if there's extravasation, that can kind of clue you into there may be something like an arterial bleed going on. And, and you know, since we're going over, you know, the, the radiographic evaluation is, is very important for uh, these pelvises and, and highly tested. Uh, we always hear about, you know, sacral dysmorphism. Kind of, Spencer, what, what are some of the signs of sacral dysmorphism, I guess, that you can see on some of these different um, x rays?
1: Yeah, so um, we actually have been starting to look a lot at sacral dysmorphism here in uh, Fresno in terms of how kind of prevalent it is in society, and is it more common than we truly think? But what we're looking for, like on a on a AP pelvis, is um, if that upper portion of the sacrum um, is at the uh, kind of collinear with the top of the iliac crest. Um, And then uh, you'll see it really at that kind of level of the uh, L5 disc and see some overlap of that uh, upper sacrum and uh, L5 uh, lumbar vertebrae um, at the top of the iliac crest. And then um, when you're looking at an outlet uh, pelvic x-ray again that outlet like you uh, alluded to before is really that true ap of the sacrum um, you'll see kind of the residual mammillary uh, processes in the uh, sacral ala on the superior portion you'll see very large and Ill- irregular uh, sacral neural uh, and it won't look quite as uh, like nice and circular as a, a non-dysmorphic sacrum and then a residual disc space between the um, upper and second sacral, sacral segment. So you see kind of that sclerotic ring where um, on that outlet view where a residual disc is going to be at uh, S1 to uh, S2. And then when you're looking at the uh, lateral, um, you're going to have an acute alar slope um and notably, uh, uh, it's gonna really affect S1 more than S2. And um, I'll just keep going. When we're uh, going through like a CT scan, you're gonna see that uh, kind of tongue-in-groove uh, in quotation uh, articulations. And the real important thing is really noticing for this for these uh, patients with sacral dysmorphism is how you're going to fix them with their uh, pelvic ring injuries. Um, the S1 screws are typically going to be more uh, kind of steep and uh, acute angles um, with the placement, and and the S2 corridor is actually larger and may be uh, an easier target for posterior pelvic fixation in these patients. So remember that S1 screws are a little bit more difficult, and S2 is uh, maybe the only corridor you have for uh, optimal screw p- placement in these patients. So um, now that we've kind of gone over all the imaging and yeah. uh, all that, let's uh, kind of move on to uh, what are the, what's the most likely cause of death uh, in these uh, pelvic ring injuries?
0: Uh, most likely cause of death is going to be hemorrhage, uh, especially in those, in those APC type injuries, which we'll get into in a bit, but hence, this is kind of one of the reasons why immediate application of a, of one of those pelvic ring binders and external fixation, give or take uh, whatever your institution does is pretty much a standard because you want to decrease that overall, uh, intrapelvic volume, but the most likely cause of death is going to be hemorrhage. Uh, what about, what about in, in, in a lateral compression type pelvic ring injury? What is the most likely cause of death in that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, that one is going to be uh, closed head trauma and how I tend to remember that is, um, when you're having this lateral compression, that's typically that classic T-bone style, uh, injury where, um, your lateral pelvis is going to get compressed into the contralateral side, but the head has to go somewhere. And it's typically going to hit off of that uh, same side window. And that's one of the things that kind of helps me remember uh, that it's uh, closed head trauma for the lateral compression uh, patients. Yeah. I
0: use something, something similar, same thing. Like if somebody's walking and gets hit by a car from the side, their head, boom, hits the windshield or like yep. will hit, you know, the, uh, the front of the car and cause that injury, same yep, thing.
1: Exactly. Um, so, um, and then for increasing uh, mortality or kind of worse prognosis for patients, um, authors have kind of identified six major factors for these uh, pelvic ring injuries and uh, what are those?
0: Yeah. So, you know, some of the factors that increase mortality in patients that have pelvic brain injuries is number one, you're going to have a systolic blood pressure less than 90 on presentation. So they come in hypotensive, their age is going to be over 60. So again, our old patient that comes in, that's uh, hypotensive uh, patients that have an increased injury severity score. So like, you know, these polytrauma patients, these patients with the, just like we're talking about with the head, uh, uh, with the head uh, traumas and, and the pneumothoraxes, hemothoraxes, you know, multiple open fractures, it, the more injuries they have, the higher, uh, r- the higher they have uh, as far as increased mortality, uh, any open fractures um, patients that need transfusion greater than four units and any um, uh, patients that have an APC three or, or kind of a wind sweat pelvis. So, you know, overall, if you think about it, the old, a uh, patient that comes in and needs a lot of blood with open fractures, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different injuries, and in, in they're hypotensive. That's the way that you can kind of think about all these. And the ABC three, you think, you know, they, in my head, I'm like, man, you got, they got really, really messed up. You know, they're um, yeah, uh, <laughs> for 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 lack of medical terms, and we'll we'll get into it um, here. Actually, we'll get into it here next. What are some of the classification systems? Well, the, the two main classification systems. Uh, or schemes for for pelvic ring injuries.
1: Uh, Yes, you have um, one is the tile, which is probably not as utilized or as well known as the Young and Burgess. Um, I'll go over the tile and then uh, I'll have you kind of go over the the Young and Burgess classification. So tile is is pretty comprehensive. I don't know if knowing the exact, Classification system is necessary for OIT or boards, but um, it's based on uh, the overall ring stability. And uh, a, it goes ABC, A's being the most stable, C's being the most unstable. But uh, A, a stable pelvic ring does not really typically involve the pelvic ring uh, in the first place, but that's where you see the of iliac crest fractures, you see the AIIS or ASIS avulsion uh, type injuries. Um, and then uh, the type B uh, injuries are more uh, of the rotationally unstable but vertically stable uh, ring injuries. And then C is where you're going to have the rotationally and vertically unstable So um, I think that that's really the the most important thing is how they kind of advance from stable to rotationally unstable, but vertically stable, and then rotationally and vertically unstable and how the uh, injury mechanism and uh, severity increases from A to C. Um, And then the more classic and I think more used classification is the young and burgess and if you want to go over that
0: yeah you know that tile classification just like you said i don't know exactly how much is tested on but just based on kind of the stability of the ring Uh, but the young and burgess classification i think is is good because you know it, it at least helps you understand kind of the fracture patterns and 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 for this it's kind of the force dictates what the fracture pattern is and there's and it's divided into three different types or maybe four. Actually, you have the lateral uh, compression type. You have a AP or anterior posterior and you have a shear force, which is a vertical displacement. And then you kind of have a combined, which is you know, a combination of a lot of these different type of mechanisms. And and just, you know, preemptive, you know, not every pelvis fracture fits into this one classification versus another and how these are pretty much, uh, you know, classified on increasing Uh, kind of on just how the force dissipates. So let's kind of first start off with the anterior posterior uh, compression. The way I think of this is like, you know, typically, you know, somebody's riding a motorcycle and boom, their pelvis hits the handlebars. So they they have kind of this external rotation force that's going to be applied on the pelvis. So an APC one injury is going to be the less severe injuries, but you have kind of less than 2.5 centimeters of diastasis of that anterior uh, uh, pubis. So, you know, kind of that anterior pelvis. And then when you get to an APC two, you have uh, greater than 2.5 centimeters of diastasis and, and SI widening or sacroiliac widening. And if we want to break it all the way down to what we spoke about a little bit earlier, you kind of have ruptures of some of those uh, of, of those ligaments that we we're talking about. So you may have kind of rupture of the anterior uh, SI ligaments. You may have uh, rupture of either one of the sacrospinus or the ligaments. And so when you go about an APC3, this is an APC2 plus now you have posterior SI joint disruption. So APC1, you have less than 2.5 centimeters of diastasis, APC2, greater than 2.5 centimeters in diastasis, and uh, some SI winding. And then APC3, you're going to have some added SI joint disruption of that posterior SI joint complex. The lateral compression um, type, so you have LC1. That way, again, the way I think of this is kind of internal uh rotational force on the pelvis. So just like we talked about earlier, when you're getting hit by a car or kind of that T-bone type um, of injury, when you have internal uh, internal uh, rotational force, if you think about it, LC1, you have a, a sacral fracture, which can be either complete or an incomplete compression fracture on that side where there was an internal rotation force at. Um, an LC2 is an LC1 Plus, now you have an added iliac wing fracture, and that's kind of the hallmark of an LC2 injury. And then LC3, if you think about it, that internal rotation force on one hemipelvis has dissipated and is now causing a contralateral external rotation injury. So that, that hemipelvis, the force has gone from one pelvis and, and is internally rotated, causing a, a, a fracture of the anterior SI or the SI, uh, the sacrum, uh, it's also has that crescent fracture. And then now we have dissipated all that energy into the other contralateral hemipelvis, which is now you have an external rotation injury. So on the films, if you're looking at a CT scan, you may see a compression fracture of uh, of one side of the sacrum. And on the other side, you may see anterior SI widening, And that's kind of that windswept pelvis that we talk about. And then the other is going to be our vertical shear, uh, our vert- vertical shear type uh, injuries where there's uh, hemi or there's a displacement of the hemi pelvis vertically. That, again, we can best visualize on an outlet view. Uh, and, and I know we kind of touched about it, but this, just to reiterate, which uh, which APC injuries are the posterior uh, SI ligaments going to be intact versus not intact?
1: Yep. So that's going to be the APC 1 and 2. Um, you're going to have those posterior SI ligaments intact uh, whereas in an apc 3 uh, you're gonna have uh, the posterior ligamentous structures ruptured and uh, on a really on an x-ray for lack of another way to really describe it you're gonna look at that x-ray and really know like that is a wide open pelvis that is something that is going to need that immediate binder placement, or uh, some sort of uh, external fixation uh, device in the index procedure, um, that will be tested on the OITE for sure. Um, Whereas in the APC one and two, uh, the the binder is really the the key uh, thing there. Um, So uh, when we're uh, down in the trauma bay, I mean, we are, We're orthopedic surgeons, we're really focused on the bones. What are some of the other injuries that uh, we need to kind of look for and help the uh, trauma team look for uh, so that these patients can have a better outcome?
0: Yeah, and you know one of the things if you just kind of just think about the the mechanism, so we'll start with APC, right? So you have a um, that that anterior-posterior compression, or that external rotation force, and you think about what's right behind the pubis is a bladder. So you know it's it's common or it, it urethral or bladder injuries are associated with these APC type injuries. In uh, one note, one of the things that you know I've, I've read or we've we've noted in some of our notes is that if a repair of the urethral bladder the urethra or the bladder is, is required. Some people prefer uh, repairing at the same time or before the hardware is placed to re- reduce infection, which does make sense. But, you know, those are the patients where you wanna look to see if there's blood or the urethral uh, meatus, you know, that, that can kind of clue you into something that's going on in the bladder in patients that have that APC type injury. Now, patients that have the lateral compression type injury that force from the side, just like we spoke a little bit about earlier, it's going to be associated with brain or head injuries, and then less commonly, it's also going to be associated with bowel, uh, with bowel injuries. And one of the things to note is that women that have pelvic fractures, uh, you know, they have a history of a pelvic fracture in the past, have an increased risk for uh, needing a C-section uh, as well as dyspareunia, which is uh, not good. But, you know, that is something to note that women with a history of pelvic fractures have an increased risk for having a C-section and dyspareunia. Um, and with, with these pelvic fractures, I, you know, you always hear about a morell lavalli lesion. I remember I think I was a med student um, the first time I heard of this and I had no idea what it was and, and, and looked like I had no, no, not a single clue. But um, so if there are any med students listening to this, which I, I would commend you for, you know, getting this far ahead. Um, but what is a morale of valley lesion?
1: Yep, so that is really a an internal type degloving injury where you're separating the kind of skin and subcutaneous fat from the uh, underlying fascia and, and but the overall injury itself stays closed and what you get is a large hematoma and serous serosanguinous fluid collection. And uh, what the kind of big problem with that is, is it's, you've kind of created this um, potential space, and that is now turned into a fluid filled space, and it has an increased risk of infection. And um, unfortunately, these tend to always, always happen right where you need to do surgery. So whether that's (laughs) uh, over the lateral hips, and you need to either fix a, Uh, like a proximal femur peritrochanteric fracture or place your SI screws. Um, They they tend to always happen where you need to do your uh, hardware placement. So uh, for kind of decreasing your chance for uh, an infection after hardware placement, you tend to wanna treat these in uh, more of a staged fashion. So, I mean, stabilizing the bony injuries is important. So either doing your external fixator or your definitive treatment and uh, doing a very thorough and uh, complete uh, irrigation and debridement. So taking out any of that non-viable fat, any of that non-viable tissue and uh, staging the closure or placing uh, multiple drains to help compress that potential space so that uh, hematoma and fluid collection uh, can't uh, form again and kind of cause a uh, breeding ground for bacteria right around where your hardware is. Um, And you've uh, kind of talked a a little bit about this, but really uh, just because the OIT and the boards really love hitting on these types of uh, points, are, what are the most common causes of death in uh, the different uh, pelvic ring injuries?
0: Yeah, it's like you said, we're seeing a common theme here. You know, this is definitely things we want to cover multiple times so everybody understands these. But, you know, the most common cause of death in a patient that has an APC type injury is going to be shock, uh, and then followed by sepsis or ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. But, you know, shock is the most common uh, cause of death in patients that have an APC type injury. And in patients that have that lateral compression type injury, it's going to be brain injuries, you know, head trauma. So we spoke about getting hit from the side having your head hit the windshield or hit the car. What are some of the goals with kind of acute managing, acutely managing these patients that have these pelvic injuries when they come into the ED? Uh,
1: Yeah. So um, pelvic ring injury, uh, uh, like you just talked about definitely controlling the shock and the hemorrhage that these uh, patients are suffering from so uh, one is binder placement and i mean truly yeah the binder should be used for the more apc type injuries where you do have a widening of the pelvic ring and uh, there is a kind of theoretical risk of worsening the lateral compression injuries but i think if your default is a pelvic ring binder, uh, not many people are going to fault you for that. So you want to control the hemorrhage by placing a binder and creating a enclosed uh, space for that bleeding to uh, eventually clot off. And then uh, really stabilizing it as, as soon as uh, you safely can do it in these patients. So whether that's an external fixator or whether that's anterior and posterior pelvic ring fixation um, you want to just stabilize that pelvic ring and and cause it that clot to stabilize so that they they don't re-bleed into the pelvis um, and i mean we said this in uh, uh, a few uh, episodes ago or a few of these review uh, uh, episodes was the resuscitation process for these. We have to remember that it, for blood platelets and FFP, we do this in a one-to-one-to-one ratio. And uh, we wanna trend the lactate, we wanna trend the base deficit and trend their hemoglobin, uh, just to make sure that these patients are no longer in shock. And, and then just to hammer home a few points that we talked about before, where um, the blood pressure, not as important, Uh, and the urinary output is not as important as trending that lactate and base deficit and making sure that those uh, values are uh, trending back to normal so that we don't have a a kind of a compensated shock picture we have a compensated uh, normal intensive uh, picture for these patients and
0: We hope you all enjoyed this episode of our uh, OITE review series going over a little bit of the pelvis. And what we'd love for you to do is if you enjoyed this episode, hit that subscribe button. And then tell one other person, tell one other person, share this podcast with somebody that you think it could help them out. And also follow us on Instagram at NailedItOrtho, N-A-I-L-E-D-I-T-O-R-T-H-O. Until next time.